Each week during the season of Advent, we're offering brief meditations on the theme of waiting. And this morning, I'd like to look at Zechariah as presented to us in the Gospel of Luke. So it's in the first chapter if you want to turn there. I'm going to just kind of tell the story, but you could follow along if you'd like, starting in verse 5. So in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus begins first not with the pronouncement about the conception of Jesus, but about another surprising pregnancy, that of John the Baptist, who would come to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story begins with a man named Zechariah who was a priest. And he was married to a woman named Elizabeth, whose lineage connected her to Aaron of Moses and Aaron in the book of Exodus. Now this means we're not just dealing with any two people. But we're dealing with people who were righteous and blameless. We're dealing with people because of their family history meant they were esteemed in religious circles. But we're also dealing with two people who didn't have children. Elizabeth was barren. And so though others may have looked upon them with such high esteem, they did not envy the sorrow and shame that came with childlessness. So one day, while Zechariah's priestly group were to, be, were to go into the temple, they cast lots about who would go into the temple. Zechariah was chosen. So he goes into the temple to burn incense. And while he is in there, an angel appears before him. And as Jonathan Anderson already said, that was something to be frightened by. And so he's filled with fear. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, which is the absolute worst response, I think, that an angel has. But it's all over the Bible. Because what is, what is someone supposed to do? Okay, uh, I won't be. So Zechariah is afraid by this angel, and he says, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now, Zechariah doesn't have any time to take any of this in, but the angel continues to talk about what this son means and what he will do. He says, you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. He will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Pretty remarkable, yet Zechariah responds in this way. How can I be sure of this? Or as some other translations have it, how shall I know that this is so? How can I know I'll actually have a son? For I'm an old man, he says, and my wife is advanced in years. Don't you just love that response? Isn't it just so human? I mean, here we have this man named Zechariah, who for all intents and purposes is in God's living room. An angel shows up saying he will have a son. And yet Zechariah wants to know if this will really happen. How is this possible? And I love that. And I love that because it's me. I love that because so often I ask and hope that God would show up and I wait and I wait for so long so long sometimes that I forget that I even asked for it. But what if when God does show up, I don't believe it? 
or I don't recognize it. Or I actually want to maybe explain it away by getting a few more details that might make it more rational or understandable. But it's in response to Zechariah's question that the angel says, Well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to give you this message. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, Gabriel, that's a little harsh. You kind of sound a little bit like someone who had their feelings hurt and you're overreacting just a bit. (laughs) Barbara Brown Taylor, a pastor and a writer, says this, Perhaps it wasn't so much a sin of disbelief, but a failure of imagination on the part of Zechariah, brought about by a fear of disappointment a habit of hopelessness. He could no longer imagine that there was another way. He had waited a long time for something that was systematically denied him. He had gotten used to not being heard. How was he supposed to know that this time would be different? Do any of you feel that way right now? This habit of hopelessness, that this failure of imagination that you can't possibly think that there is another way. So the story continues, and outside of the temple, people were waiting for him because Zechariah was taking a a long time, and so he comes out, and he can't speak. And he's trying to make signs to them. And they know something happened, but they're not sure what, and he can't explain it to them. The story continues, and he and his wife actually conceive a son, and were taken into another season of waiting for this child to be born, but this time... Zechariah is silent. Something new was happening, but he had to wait just a little bit longer. Now, I think this is really interesting because I wonder if before this incident with the angel, Zechariah was wondering where God had been. God had been so silent for so long with regard to his people and their captivity, with regard to their question and wondering and wanting a child. And yet here we have the story of role reversals in which we have a man who is silent in the face of God's surprising activity. What are we to make of that? It's also intriguing to me that this story is about pregnancy, yet both parties feel the effects of waiting for birth. I mean, women know this all too well who have been pregnant That their bodies change and it becomes more and more uncomfortable over time. They know what it's like to wait for that child to be born. And often men are like, yeah, it'll happen when it happens. (laughs) But here, Zechariah is silent. And he is forced to wait alongside of his wife. It's as if the angel put Zechariah in a position where all he could do was watch and see. He had no words to form in order to explain what was going on. He had no way to articulate, to make sense of any of this. He simply had to watch and see God's new thing grow and grow before him. 
What Zechariah seemed to want in the temple was some semblance of understanding, but what the angel gave him instead was a posture where he was just able to take it all in. And it's in his silent waiting that Zechariah simply had to come to terms with what all of this meant. What would it mean that he would have a child? What would it mean that his child would actually prepare the way of the Lord? What would it mean that God, though we had waited for him for so long, is now beginning to do something? What would it all mean? Now imagine what we might notice if we weren't able to speak. Imagine what we, or what dots we might connect if all we were able to do was sit quietly and listen. In our waiting, what about God might we notice afresh if we were silent before him? What might happen if all we could do was listen to him? But the story continues, and John the Baptist is born And it's on the eighth day that he's going to be circumcised. And the family and the friends are wondering, what are we going to name him? And Elizabeth says, well, are you going to name him John? And they're like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. His name should be Zechariah. You can't name him John. There's no one in the family whose name is John. She says, it's going to be named John. They're like, well, we need to consult with Zechariah. Zechariah still can't speak, so he asks for something to write on. He asks for something to write with. And he writes down, his name will be John. And as soon as that happens, his mouth is loosened. And it says he begins to bless God. After more than nine months of silence, when he is able to speak, the first thing he does is praise. It's as if waiting made the praise possible. And now perhaps you're like me, and we're all too often quick to to try and figure out what the point of waiting is. As if that point might be to gain some, gain some, some more clarity or understanding of why things are the way they are, or how things happen the way they happened. But perhaps what waiting makes possible is for us to kind of sit back and watch and recognize that we're part of something that actually doesn't make sense. We're part of something that's that's significant, that is actually mysterious. Perhaps like Zechariah, we're able to see the confounding nature of what it all means that God came to us in Jesus. All we can do is say, what is this? When we want to say, how can I be sure of this? How will I know that this is possible? Perhaps the response we need to have is one of just utter awe and praise. The place that in his waiting Zechariah came to, where his questioning at the beginning was replaced with blessing and praising God. And the thing that's so mysterious about God coming to us in Jesus is that like Zechariah, somehow it involves all of us. That it involves you and me. 
And the only reasonable response that Zechariah had in the face of such utter mystery is found in Luke 1, verses 67 through 79. Then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives and in the very house of David, his servant. Just as he promised long ago through the preaching of his holy prophets, deliverance from our enemies in every hateful hand, mercy to our fathers, as he remembers to do what he said he'd do, what he swore to our father Abraham, a clean rescue from the enemy camp, so we can worship him without a care in the world, made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways, present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one foot at a time, down the path of peace. Thanks be to God.